Well, if you take your Bibles, turn along with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's been about six weeks since we were last in 1 Peter together. But this morning, I want us to dive back into our study of this challenging and encouraging letter written by Peter to Christians and churches that were scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And as we've seen throughout this study, one of Peter's main themes and purposes in writing this letter was to share with his readers gospel hope for troubled times. Gospel hope for troubled times. Christians, as you recall, were beginning to experience the beginning stages of a prolonged period of increasing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter writes to them during this time, encouraging them not to be surprised by this and encouraging them to respond with fear, I'm sorry, with faith and endurance, not with fear, knowing that God is in control, that he has a good purpose in all that they experience. Now we come to this final chapter in the book of First Peter. And as Peter begins to wind down this letter, he turns his attention to the leaders of these various churches. He shares here a word to the shepherds, a word to the pastors, a word to the elders. As persecution increased for Christians generally in that time, those who were leaders of Christian churches were very likely to experience this persecution in a more focused way. As leaders... They represent the churches that they lead and would necessarily become a target of persecution in a way that even just the general member of the church might not. As the pressure of persecution exerted itself on these Christian communities, Peter wanted to remind the leaders of these churches of the importance of their role of the responsibility they have before the Lord and of the reward that awaits them upon Christ's return. So this morning, we're going to see Peter's word to the shepherds. And it serves as a great reminder of God's plan and purpose for leaders in the church. Leadership is always important. Always And it's especially important for Christ's church. And that is especially true when the church is experiencing times of difficulty, trial, and persecution. As the church in America increasingly finds itself out of step with many of the views of popular culture, and in particular with government policy, the need for strong biblical Humble, godly leadership within the church becomes more and more critical. And so it's a good reminder this morning for me as a pastor. It's a good reminder for our elders 
the elders of this church. It's a good reminder for all of us at this church about God's design for leadership, His intention for leadership, His purposes for leadership within the church. So let me read for us from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. You follow along. 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, Peter continues, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, teach us this morning about leadership, particularly leadership in the church. How it is to be distinctive from leadership in the world, how it is designed by you to navigate the church through stormy seas, how it is promised a reward when you return, and that that should be the shepherd's ultimate motivation, to be pleasing to you, to honor you in service to your church. So teach us, Lord. Conform us to your word. Show us the importance of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to see four aspects of the shepherd's calling within the church. From 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Four aspects of the shepherd's calling within the church. First of all, we're going to see the shepherd's role. The shepherd's role. What is the shepherd's role? Peter begins by uniting himself in solidarity with the people he's addressing. Look what he says. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. He's identifying with them. Peter's exhortation here, his command, his encouragement, is not coming from a position of distant clinical indifference. It's not coming from a position of Far away ignorance, unaware of the real pressures and strains of leadership within the local church. No, Peter exhorts them as someone who is himself a leader in Christ's church. He calls himself someone who is a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory to be revealed. Now, Peter was, of course, an apostle. And as a member of that very unique and limited and exclusive group of apostles, Peter had apostolic authority over all the churches, just as all the other apostles did, including, of course, the apostle Paul. As an apostle with authority over all the churches, Peter could exhort the elders of all the churches and identify with them, therefore, as a fellow elder. By nature of being an apostle, there's a sense in which All the apostles were fellow elders of all the churches by nature of their authority as apostles. That was unique to them as apostles. 
So Peter identifies himself not so much as an apostle here, but as a fellow elder serving along with them. Peter not only shared eldership with these leaders in Christ's church, but he too, like them, was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, Peter was special, to be sure, in that he had a front row seat for the sufferings of Christ, almost like no one else could claim. Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry. He was present for Jesus' sufferings. He was present for Jesus' betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was present when Jesus was arrested. He was nearby and within earshot of Jesus' trial and unjust conviction. Likewise, Peter was among an elite group of just three people who were given the incredible opportunity of witnessing Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. So in a sense, Peter was witness to Jesus' sufferings and glory like almost no one else. But the uniqueness of Peter as an eyewitness of Jesus' suffering and glory is not what Peter is getting at here. He's not pointing to himself as being special for having been an eyewitness to the sufferings of Jesus. No, instead, Peter is saying that this witness to Jesus' sufferings and this partaking in Jesus' glory is something that they all shared in together equally as Christians. They are all witnesses together, not as eyewitnesses, for almost certainly none of the believers Peter is writing to had been an eyewitness of any part of Jesus' life. But they were witnesses like Peter in the sense that they, like Peter, proclaimed the divine message from God about his son Jesus. That there is life and forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus told his disciples at his ascension that they would be his witnesses, right? His witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. And as fellow Christians, Peter and these leaders shared a common faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. They, like Peter, were now charged with proclaiming that gospel message, the good news of faith and forgiveness in Jesus as his witnesses. And as a result of this faith in Jesus, they shared a common hope in the glory that is to be revealed at the second coming. So Peter is all about sharing with them in their common faith, their common hope, their common task as fellow elders. He's expressing his solidarity with these church leaders in their role as elders and as leaders in Christ's church. And solidarity with them in their faith in Jesus Christ and in their role as heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter does this in order to encourage and identify with these leaders as he reminds them of their roles and responsibilities within the church. He does so as someone who's not in some far removed ivory tower, but as someone who's also in the trenches of faith and service, and sacrifice right along with them. He's he's a fellow elder with them. 
As a leader and an apostle, Peter wasn't asking these leaders to do anything he himself wasn't willing to do. Certainly an important principle of leadership. Now what I want you to notice about Peter's words here in verses 1 to 2 is that Peter marvelously outlines the shepherd's task using three different words. He uses the word elder, he uses the word shepherd, and he uses the word oversight. He describes the shepherd's role using these three different words, elder, shepherd, oversight. So the leader in Christ's church is called to this threefold task of being an elder, of being a shepherd, and of being an overseer. So let me break those down just a little bit. The term elder, presbyteros, originally referred to someone who is older. It came to have the meaning of someone who was mature and well-respected in a community. And then it came to have the further meaning of an officially recognized leader of an assembly. The term elder speaks primarily of the character or the spiritual maturity of the leader. This character and maturity qualification for someone to be an elder are specified in great detail by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 where we have the qualifications what it looks like to be an elder. If you're going to be qualified to be an elder, you have to be qualified according to those terms. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And there's a whole list of them. In one sense, those descriptions are simply explanations of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, in a sense, are simply describing what does maturity look like? in the life of an individual. If I can summarize these qualifications for you, leaders of Christ's church are to be mature Christians. They're to be male. They're to be able to teach God's Word. That kind of summarizes all the various qualifications into kind of a simple three. Mature Christians, male Able to teach God's word. That is who is to lead God's church. Godly, mature men who know God's word and are able to explain it to others. This is who an elder is. Now in verse 2, Peter calls on these fellow elders to do something. This is where the word shepherd comes in. Shepherd the flock of God. The elders were to shepherd the flock of God. And that brings us to this second part of the church leader's role, shepherding. The verbal form of this word is shepherding. The noun form is often translated as pastor, shepherd or pastor. A pastor is a shepherd of God's flock. The church here is referred to as the flock of God. So Peter is using here a common Christian metaphor for the local assembly of Christians. The assembly is made up of sheep and the sheep are led and cared for by shepherds, pastors. 
Peter was intimately familiar with this terminology of shepherd and sheep. After Peter's denials of Jesus and after Jesus' resurrection, you remember Jesus graciously met with Peter and, and restored him to ministry by calling Peter repeatedly to care for his sheep, the Lord's sheep. Jesus said to Peter, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Three times in John 21, 15 through 17. Peter was very familiar with this shepherd and sheep motif and metaphor. The elders of Christ's church are to be shepherds. If the term elder refers to the leader's Christian maturity, shepherd refers to their task, their heart. As a literal shepherd leads and cares for and feeds and protects the flock entrusted to their care, so a pastor is called to lead, care for, feed, and protect God's flock. So elders are to be shepherds of God's flock. The third term that Peter uses of the leader's role is oversight. They're to shepherd the flock of God exercising oversight. Someone who exercises oversight is an overseer, a translation of the Greek word episkopos. This refers literally to someone who stands before a group and watches over them. And it came to mean someone who has been entrusted with the care of others, someone who has the responsibility entrusted to them to lead and care for another person, an overseer. So these three terms, elder, Pastor or shepherd and overseer are used interchangeably in the New Testament of the same singular biblical office of leadership within the church. So I'm a pastor, a shepherd, I'm an overseer, and I'm an elder. Brian Lee, who prayed earlier in the service for us, he is an elder, he is a shepherd or a pastor, he is an overseer. And the same is true for all of the pastors, elders, and overseers of this church. As Peter indicates in verse 1, there wasn't just one elder at each church, but rather there was at each church a plurality of elders. Because he says, listen, I'm exhorting the elders among you. In each location, I'm exhorting the elders that reside among you, who lead you and shepherd you and oversee you. So each church was to have a plurality of qualified, godly, mature leaders who were entrusted by God with the oversight and care of God's people, and they exercised this oversight by leading, feeding, protecting God's people. Elder, pastor, overseer. This is the leader's role within the church. So, we've defined the role of what leadership in the church looks like. Secondly, let's look at the shepherd's motivation. And this is key. The shepherd's motivation. Peter says there to exercise this oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. 
Motivations are important. We ought to be careful in judging one another's motivations, but we ought to be eager to evaluate our own. Usually we reverse that. We're eager to evaluate others' motivations, but slow to evaluate our own. But motivations are important. Why do you do what you do? What's in it for you? Why are you motivated to serve? Motivations are important. And as this is true for all Christians, in all roles, it is especially true for the Christian leader in Christ's church. What should motivate the Christian leader? Guilt? Well, I guess nobody else is going to do it, so I'll do it. Well, I guess it's the right thing to do, so I'll step forward. Well, I don't really want to, but, you know, seems like the right thing. Should guilt motivate us? Money? Power? Prestige? The platform? Influence? No, none of these things should motivate the shepherd of God's sheep. Peter says, as a fellow elder, that those who lead in Christ's church are not to do so out of compulsion. They're not to serve out of some lifeless obligation, out of duty, mere duty. They're not to serve begrudgingly. The idea here of not serving out of compulsion or begrudgingly, the idea is similar to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians about giving. You remember what he said there? He said, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly nor under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver, right? A a willing and cheerful and joyous giver. Well, if I can use the same idea there and and transfer it over. Elders are not to serve grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful server. That's how we're to serve. Cheerfully. Eagerly. Joyfully. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1 that... If any man aspires to the office of elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. So there's two words there that stand out. A person who aspires and a person who desires. Aspiring and desiring are important elements for the elder's work, the elder's role, the elder's motivation. There needs to be an enthusiastic, aspiring, and desiring for those who would lead God's flock as shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean there's not an element of, wow, this is a heavy burden. A realization of the gravity of the task. But despite the the gravity of the calling, nevertheless, there's still a desire and an aspiration to serve well. To love God's people effectively. And as Peter says, this is according to the will of God. Likewise, the shepherd is not to be motivated by greed. Shepherds are not to serve for, out of a motivation for sordid gain. 
There's always been the danger that leaders in the church could fleece the flock, and that's happening right now in places all over the world. A lot of bad examples of that on TV with TV preachers. Not all of them, but many of them. Too many in ministry are motivated by what they can get for themselves out of the ministry rather than by what they can give of themselves in ministry. Paul said he was willing to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That is why one of the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3.3 is that they be free from the love of money. You can't love money and serve Christ's church. Now that doesn't mean that those who devote themselves to the ministry of the church shouldn't get paid. Paul makes that clear elsewhere. We have to take all of Scripture together, right? 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 1 Corinthians 9.14, the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. But the motivation for serving as a leader in Christ's church is never to be for money. Instead, those who lead are to do so with eagerness. Not an eagerness to improve our own financial position on the backs of those in our congregation, but an eagerness to love and serve and sacrifice for those who've been entrusted to our care. This should be the leader's motivation, and motivations matter. Why do you do what you do? The shepherd's motivation. Thirdly, the shepherd's manner. The shepherd's manner. Verse 3. Peter here speaks to the leader's methods and style of leadership, if you will. He says, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. Leaders in Christ's church are not to lord it over those who have been entrusted to their care. The leader's manner is not to be one of heavy-handed, oppressive, my way or the highway, there's the door kind of leadership. There's recently been, sadly, a number of cases of prominent Christian pastors being removed from office because of their domineering leadership. They're bullies, so it's alleged. Bill Hybels, Darren Patrick, Mark Driscoll, all well-known pastors who've lost their ministries in one way or another because of their heavy-handed, bullying, domineering style of leadership, as well as other oftentimes disqualifying behavior. Elders are not to lord it over those allotted to their charge. What Peter is teaching here is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. Peter's just passing on Jesus' words. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. 
Ooh, I love that sound. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus calls his disciples to himself. No doubt Peter was right there. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the unbelievers, lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There again, we have the model of leadership in Jesus himself. Jesus isn't calling his disciples to do something he himself hadn't already done. In being a leader, Jesus came to be the greatest servant and to give himself, sacrifice himself for the good of others. So it is for the Christian leader, the elder, the pastor, the overseer. They're not to exercise their leadership in the way that the world does, through raw power. Exerting authority structures and pulling rank and playing power games. No, instead, they're to be the greatest servants, to give of themselves and sacrifice. 1 Timothy 3 3, Paul says that a qualification for an elder is that they are not pugnacious or a bully, but rather they are gentle. And peaceable with all. This was Paul's manner as well. He wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. He said, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Gentleness. Like a mother. A nursing mother caring for her own kids. Nourishing them. Nurturing them. 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul says, The Lord's bondservant, or slave, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. The church doesn't operate like the military. Church doesn't operate like the business world, with the CEO at the top. No. Instead, it's upside down. The greatest leaders in the church are to be the greatest servants. Those who lead are called to be willing to sacrifice all for those they lead. As they resist the temptation to lord it over the flock and instead seek to be the greatest servants, the elders will prove to be examples to the flock of how every Christian is to live. Right? This isn't isn't something just for the elders. This is something for all of us. To live for one another, to love one another. To be patient and kind and gentle with one another and gracious and forgiving. 
As those who do not seek to be served, but seek to serve and to give themselves in service to others, just as Jesus did in giving his life as a ransom for many. This is gospel-transformed leadership. And it's what the church is called to. It's what elders are called to. Well, finally, let's look at the shepherd's reward. The shepherd's reward. The shepherds of God's flock here in verse 4 are promised a great reward in the future. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a promise. Shepherds of God's flock are promised a great reward in the future. One day, the chief shepherd is going to appear, Jesus Christ. He's going to come back in glory. And victory. And when he does, he's going to reward those who have served as faithful shepherds in Christ's church. That's the promise. Jesus, here is the chief shepherd, which is a helpful organizational structure to keep in mind. Right? Chief, one chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming again in power and glory, Coming to assess the job he entrusted to the under-shepherds. And that's everybody else. Right? One chief shepherd, so it's a simple organizational chart. Right? With big box up here, Lord Jesus Christ, chief shepherd. All these little tiny boxes that really aren't even worth looking at. These are all under-shepherds. Simple organizational chart. And that organizational chart is actually key to keeping our heads on straight as shepherds, under shepherds. We're not the chief shepherd. In the ultimate sense, you're not my sheep. You're the sheep that have been entrusted to my care, to the care of the elders of this church. But that makes the responsibility all the more weighty because we know to whom you belong and to whom we are accountable. These sheep aren't mine. This church isn't mine. No, this church and each of you belong to the chief shepherd and you are precious to him. I've simply been entrusted, as the rest of the elders have, as an under-shepherd with your care for a time, a season. This reality helps the under-shepherds from getting big heads or greedy hearts or from going off on power trips. I'm just an under-shepherd. And my calling is simply to be faithful with what belongs to Christ and what has been entrusted to my care. And the result of faithfulness and service to the sheep shepherd is an unfading crown when he appears. An unfading crown. Crowns were given to victors back in the day of the New Testament. 
were given to victors of battles, victors of sporting events, and they were usually wreaths made out of leaves, laurel wreaths. These crowns would be placed on the heads of those being honored. And here, Peter says it's an unfading crown, unlike those crowns, which lasted for a while, but eventually wilted and ultimately disintegrated. They weren't permanent crowns. Unlike those crowns, this is an unfading crown. It's an eternal crown, representing eternal honor and eternal reward. So the elder shouldn't be motivated by power or by money or by platform or by prestige or by any other thing. The elder's singular motivation should be seeking to please the Lord, the chief shepherd, so that when it's all said and done, when the roll is called up yonder, when the chief shepherd appears... I can hear those words that every one of us as faithful Christians wants to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I am. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. He's called me to a particular role within the church. My job is simply to be faithful And carrying out the duties associated with that role. That relieves a lot of pressure. I don't have to chart the course. I don't have to make certain that the future is this divine vision that I've had. No. I don't know. I'm not smart enough for that stuff. My role is simply to be faithful. To fulfill the role God's called me to within Christ's church. To be an example of a believer, to care for, shepherd, and pastor, whoever the Lord brings to us and entrust to my care, to exercise oversight, not out of greed or lording it over, but out of a desire to please the chief shepherd who I am so honored to serve. And the reward, the true reward, will be seeing him. And we'll all be together when that happens. Praise God for his grace and mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the tremendous privilege it is to serve your sheep, your flock in your church, with my fellow elders. Thank you for each of them, for their lives, for their example. Isn't a perfect one among us, not by a long shot. We would all be quick to acknowledge that. But by your grace, Lord, you've called us here for this precious task of leading and caring for and Loving and feeding and protecting your flock for this time and this place for the people who've gathered here.
Lord, help us to be faithful in that calling. Help the people of this church to affirm the leadership of mature, godly, qualified men and to follow their leadership as they follow Christ. Help us as leaders to be humble, to be motivated by the right things, to exercise our leadership in a manner that is reflective of your leadership, which was servant leadership, sacrificial leadership. And as we do this, Lord, we know you'll be glorified, you'll be honored. power of the gospel will be proclaimed. Lives will be changed. And on that great day, when the chief shepherd appears, may we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.